Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people, with news, views and expert interviews. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Constructive Voices for 2023. I'm Steve Randall and this is the first of our special themed months. This month we focus on biodiversity. It is important to make buildings which are climate resilient. And how you do that is really using the data and the science to understand the the exposure and the risks and the vulnerability of these buildings. That's Roberta Boscolo. She's our guest on this episode of the podcast. And of course, Pete the Builder, Peter Finn is here too. He'll be joining me in just a moment. Constructive Voices media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. Okay, so here we go then, Pete. It's a brand new year. Happy New Year. It's okay to say Happy New Year this late into January, isn't it? I think we're getting very close to the to the point where we shouldn't be saying that anymore. But yes, Steve, Happy New Year to you. First episode back. Very exciting stuff um, ahead. Obviously, everybody has some new perspectives on what they're going to do and the challenges they're going to overcome in the new year. And uh, us here at uh, Constructive Voices are no different. We've got lots of discussions to be had and we've got lots of exciting news and loads of really good stuff that we're going to be doing this year. Yeah, absolutely. And if you listen to the last episode we did, we were talking about the fact that we were going to have these focus months during 2023. That's one of the big things that we're doing. And here we are in January. Our focus month is biodiversity. So we're not going in soft and trying to take a, a lowbrow subject here. We're going for one of the big ones. In fact, you know, it's part of the biggest challenge that we have, not just in the construction industry, but in the world, the whole thing of climate change. And biodiversity is one of those things that's so important because it's how the natural world works with each other. And when a lot of it we don't even see. You know, it's those insects that are there because something else needs to eat them so that something else can eat them and so that we can eventually eat. The construction industry has such a a vital part to play. You know, we've already kind of moved to a position where developers are looking to include lots of green space and maybe even some, some sort of wild areas and things to help with biodiversity, planting trees, making sure that there's, you know, the natural world next to the built environment. I mean, this is this is just such an exciting opportunity for the construction industry. Yeah, without the shadow of a doubt, um, biodiversity is is being given the recognition, and it's certainly being approached from a different perspective than it would have been in in previous years when it comes to planning, when it comes to um, how we engineer and how we how we live within our built structures and within the built environment. So um, there's, a, there's a, a, a huge amount of research has gone into the subject and there's a huge focus gone uh, into making sure that as we build our structures, as we build our homes, as we build our community and, and our commercial um, buildings that we, we, we take into account that, you know, it can't all be just concrete jungle and no... Uh, greenery and no natural environment so that is a huge focus within the industry at the moment and rightfully so because as as we know if you upset the balance of nature you know there are going to be repercussions and it's how we address what we do now is certainly going to affect our future so you know it's going to affect us in a lot of different ways and um, ecologically financially 
and simply the environment that we live within. So a huge subject. And again, we've got some of the best experts uh, within the industry with, you know, they've literally got a lifetime of experience in in, in approaching these subjects and uh, they're working for uh, companies and, and entities within the industry that are really at the top of, of the game and really know their stuff. So, you know, we've got some great uh, experts coming on board and in particular, we've got a brilliant interview today that uh, we're going to be listening to now. Absolutely. Our guest has been speaking to Constructive Voices' Jackie DeBerka. My name is Roberta Boscolo. Uh, I am a science lead for climate and energy at the World Meteorological Organization. The uh, World Meteorological Organization, and for short is WMO, is a specialized agency of the United Nations, and it is an authoritative voice for weather, water, and climate. Um, The headquarter is based in Geneva, Switzerland, and this is where I live and work since 2009. Now let's talk about your work. Can you give an overview of your work, Roberta, to our audience, please? Uh, I focus on how to harness the power of climate data and climate information that the WMO generates through the partners and the uh, member states to support decision-making in key sectors. And uh, especially uh, the energy sector is my speciality. But in WMO, we have several sectors that we provide services, climate services, and is uh, health, uh, disaster risk reduction, agriculture and food security, water. This concept of uh, climate services is uh, to make sure that uh, uh, the information is used uh, for climate adaptation and mitigation by the public and the private sector. So we generate a lot of data, we generate a lot of analysis and science, but we understood that this science are not value if they are not used to actually make decisions and help to put businesses and private sector and public sector and governments on the pathway to sustainability and climate change mitigation. So we want to build this bridge uh, with the users of this information and uh, and this is why we are, uh, this is my focus basically, the focus of my work. Really interaction with many users, many stakeholders, and to understand what is their business, how climate is impacting their business, and how we can use this science, this climate science, to help them to mitigate uh, climate change and to adapt to future climate. So our vision in WMO is, uh, is global. Also, it is important uh, to create capacity, especially in the developing countries. And uh, part of my work is to, to make sure that developing countries and least developing countries can access all this data, can use this climate data, and can develop the information tailored to the, their national needs. This interview is actually the first in our series for biodiversity in the Built Environment Month. Built Environment uh, covers the likes of construction, architecture, engineering, and so on. What kind of stats and scientific information, Roberta, can you offer that will quickly confirm 
how severe the current climate change situation is? Yes, we can certainly start by looking at the global temperature, which is the bigger indicator of climate change. Um, we know that we already have an increase of 1.2 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial level of temperature at average at global uh, level. And this is uh, uh, an unprecedented fast increase, at least for the last 2000 years. Also, with the recent data collected on uh, for the last year, 2022, we know that the last eight years are the warmest years on record. So this is the, the big evidence that something is happening. And this drastic increase of temperature has all sorts of impacts in our Earth dynamics, uh, is reducing the extent of the Arctic ice, which has reached the lowest level in the late, in the last uh, thousand years. Retreats of glaciers, um, also unprecedented uh, in the last uh, 2,000 years. And uh, all of this increasing the sea level rise with an unprecedented rate, at least for the last 3,000 years. A recent uh, scientific article that I just read last week um, uh, sees that uh, the retreat of the glacial demonstrated that even the most ambitious climate goal, which is to limit the temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius, has already locked in the uh, glacial retreat and almost 50% of the present glacier will disappear. So we, we can kind of consider also these glaciers as the canary of the coal mine. Uh, something is drastically changed. And also we can go with more evidences that are all in front of us. Uh, I don't need to to say that, you know, we are experiencing more and more extreme heat, uh, more frequent and intense heavy rainfall. Uh, droughts has increased also in some regions and wildfire are more frequent and uh, ocean warming and acidification as well. So these are all indicators so that we are monitoring and we are seeing with our eyes. So, uh, and is, you know, um, giving us the urgency of acting. And just let me finish this by saying that what is the cause of this uh, increased heat? And this is us, is our human activity with emissions of the greenhouse gases that once they are in the atmosphere, they trap the um, outgoing heat and they warm the planet. So, we can do something because we are the cause of this. As you know, the, aud the audience that you're reaching through our podcast and through the roundtable that we'll do at the end of January are the built environment, as mentioned. Now, that particular industry is responsible for 40% of carbon emissions. In a very straightforward way, how can anybody working in that industry collaborate and benefit from collaborating against climate change? Yeah, very, very interesting question because uh, I think it, it just uh, go back to what I was saying. Uh, first of all, buildings have a long time 
life. And so, you know, they will go through climate change as well. And it is important to make buildings which are uh, climate resilience. And uh, how you do that is really using the data and the science, as I said before, to understand the, the exposure and the risks um, and the vulnerability of these buildings. And uh, uh, this is the bridge that I was talking before. We need to understand uh, and we need to uh, have a two-way discussion and conversation with this community of uh, built uh, environment. They could both helping to uh, mitigate the climate by reducing their uh, greenhouse gas emissions with solution and innovations and be more sustainable. But on the other hand, they also need to increase the uh, res- climate resilience of the buildings and make this building uh, adaptable to the future climate. I think they have... Uh, uh, a big uh, responsibility and uh, and also a big responsibility to to understand the issue and uh, and uh, talk with the scientists as well to find uh, the solutions perfect now cop 15 on biodiversity had a huge increase in its global profile but action is still at an earlier stage than climate are there lessons roberta from efforts on climate change that can be shared with those striving to get momentum and awareness of the need to act on biodiversity loss? Yeah, I think actually uh, for some people, uh, they would argue that also the negotiation for climate change are not progressing very fast. And uh, even even if we had many more COPs, say, than the biodiversity COPs, we had uh, the last one in uh, Sharm el-Sheikh, uh, there was number uh, 27. Um, and I actually attended uh, this and also the previous one. The, the climate change uh, um, cops is, um, is is a gathering that actually is is more than just a negotiation. You know, on top of the parties that are there, there is uh, um, you know other other actors that gathers. So while governments struggle to reach a meaningful and bold accord. The other actors really like businesses, civil society, uh, academy or NGOs are pushing for this great transformation. And they are all uh, buying in. You know, they really understand that this is uh, we are at the crossroads of uh, of deciding to to be sustainable, to uh, to 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 tackle the climate change and the biodiversity, or to really uh, you know uh, having having a very dark future for our planet. So, what I'm saying, at least uh, for for the COP, uh, I see this uh, innovative uh, uh, force that is is pushing, and this is I think where we see progress. So progress is is going to happen. Uh, I think, uh, uh, and innovation and uh, uh, is, is going to, to, to drive us towards a more sustainable path. For example, innovation in reducing emissions uh, through the harnessing of the wind and the solar potential is happening despite uh, there is a weak, very weak mentioning of coal phase-out uh, during, you know, in the declaration. 
And uh, I did not attend the COP15 in Montreal for the biodiversity, but at least, uh, you know, the, the climate one, ha they have a huge areas of pavilions and a lot of side events uh, where people meet and exchange ideas. And I think this is uh, the, the, the area, I would say, that makes me more positive uh, and, and optimistic. Both COPs, biodiversity and climate change are not happening, are not reaching bold uh, goals and implementation as fast as the scientists are recommending in order to avoid the most dangerous climate and biodiversity loss impacts. Change will happen and we really need to be uh, optimistic and uh, think that they will be also fast in faster, they will take uh, pace in the future. Hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we did uh, an event just after COP26 and followed up, you know, a year later, COP27. And of course, during that particular year, we had the Russia and Ukrainian war, which made a massive impact on the potential progress that had been talked about at COP26, isn't that right? Yes, yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, between COP26 and COP27, you know, the geopolitical uh, forces uh, uh, changed dramatically. So there was another uh, addition of, uh, of uh, uh, the, this Ukrainian work war that I do believe that a good push was uh, was an additional push, you know, in the same direction, which uh, might help also um, the, the, the climate change uh, mitigation implementation. Yes, I think we got a, a short, a short shock, sort of a shock with that. And I would agree with what you've just said there, Roberta. We're, we're actually starting to build understanding that climate change and biodiversity loss emergencies are very much entwined. We can't solve one without dealing with the other, obviously. So the need for action is it's about finding solutions, but also about scientific research to understand the challenges and record indicators of change. Now, your own focus is on climate. How do you see scientific studies of nature helping our understanding of climate change and vice versa? Yes, there is a lot of work done by uh, climate scientists looking at impacts, adaptation and vulnerability of climate change. And for example, the IPCC, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, has published their recent assessment uh, last year in 2022. And they are actually looking at how climate change is impacting ecosystem, biodiversity, and uh, human society. And we also, you know, uh, get indicators for biodiversity. And for example, biodiversity, uh, the loss of that biodiversity is going to be proportional to the temperature increase and putting at risk, uh, for example, pollination, uh, water availability, clean water, clean air, and food security and, and others' uh, uh, habitats. Uh, and uh, we see a, a growing number of uh, scientific studies that shows that increasing temperatures and extreme events change uh, the seasonal timing 
of key biological events such as uh, flowering or um, when animals emerge from hibernation or uh, or annual migration which cause a mismatch with important seasonal food resource, resources. Another example is the timing of fish spawning and plankton blooms uh, that fish larvae depend on for food and insect availability in the time when the birds are, are breeding. Um, so the changing of climatic conditions and the warming um, progressively shifts plants and animals to higher latitudes, higher elevation, uh, or deeper ocean waters. Uh, and approximately half of uh, many thousands of species studied on land and in the ocean already show responses of, of these uh, climate forces, uh, climate cause, with the population extinctions and shifts in vegetation zone. Um, we have uh, many examples, I can go on, but I would just want to say this uh, research is extremely important because it is through these uh, studies that we find out the exposure and the vulnerability of the habitat and ecosystems, and then, you know, can we can intervene and mitigate uh, the impacts. And uh, I just want to add that uh, a very important thing that IPCC also um, the working group two in the IPCC showed uh, they, they 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 presented that there is also an effective uh, there is a limit to effective adaptation, and uh, and we cannot prevent all the losses and damage. And for example, above one point five degrees Celsius, which is the uh, Paris Agreement uh, goal, the most ambitious goal, some natural solution may not work. And people cannot adapt. Um, and many species and ecosystems are currently near or beyond their uh, adaptation limits. So this is uh, important also to take into consideration. And, uh, and this kind of, of, of work and studies are important to highlight these big challenges and these big tipping points. One thing that comes to mind because... For those people who are not immersed in nature or massively interested in nature, sometimes it's important for them to think about how climate change is affecting themselves directly or somebody within their family. And one of the things that comes to mind with that, Roberta, is the increase in the allergy season that is affecting many, many people globally. Yes, uh, you know, as, as I said, impacts of climate change is on the health as well. Uh, heat waves, of course, is impacting a lot of people, especially the most vulnerable, the elderly, and uh, and the people uh, with uh, with some preconditions. Um, uh, we have, uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, vector-borne diseases, which are um, uh, uh, dry, driven by by climate as well. And uh, some others of uh, pests and uh, locusts, for example, that are more abundant in some condition, climatic conditions. So there is, uh, uh, we could think about uh, really climate change affecting all, 
all aspects of our life, and uh, we just need to to realize this and 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 uh, and to see how you know urgent it is to solve this this problem. Do you see opportunities for those of us studying nature to adopt technology or methods to study weather? I think the the, uh, the big difference uh, which I see uh, very important is how weather, for example, is not only research but is also operations, uh, which routinely inform people, you know, in a kind of operative wave through these centers, which are the, the med services of the countries, which, uh, like in Ireland, for example, they provide information for the Irish uh, people in the country, but they are also connected to data. They have access to data globally. And I think this access to data, the global data, to global products and to innovative products is probably what is uh, missing in in the study of nature um, in a way like uh, uh, free uh, data and uh, um, access free access and, and of data related to nature nature that will increase the studies the, the science and uh, we also be able to cross uh, uh, to, to to share data and to do cross cross analysis with other data, I think this is really important. With WMO, we have uh, uh, data centers that are that are accessible, uh, open, and accessible to everybody. And I think this should be something done also for, say, the natural science. Thinking about action, Roberta. Apart from that, where do you see particular challenges and opportunities? The big challenge is uh, the time. We don't have enough of it because the changes is 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 really rapid uh, and uh, um you know we can see changes uh, from one year to the other and uh, and we even this winter in in, Euro- in Europe was particularly mild like a heat wave during winter um and then the summer was also uh with uh, uh drought a very high temperature especially in Ireland and UK so i think uh, you know we we see these changes happening very fast, but we are not acting fast enough, and uh, and this is the big challenge. Um, and together with the time, with the lack of time, is also the lack of financing to uh, to help uh, to uh, advance with adaptation and mitigation. I think uh, you know. Uh, the, the, the financial, uh, uh, the capitals are not flowing enough, uh, fast enough to, to these uh, um, activities, to these initiatives, and also to support all the communities and the businesses which are innovating in, uh, in uh, uh, sustainability, for example. Uh, we, I think, I think this is, uh, the opportunity is really in, uh, in, um, in supporting innovation for uh, uh, for su- for the sustainable future. Yes, that is an opportunity. But it seems, at least in my in my point of view, it seems somewhat ironic that we've caused the issue, and money is actually man made, isn't it? So for fi- finance, finances not to be flowing, or at least sufficient finances not to be flowing, 
in the 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 right direction seems well very very ironic at this stage yes and and i guess and i i guess this is uh, you know the inertia of the system or uh, some lobbies uh, uh, some uh, very powerful um, businesses that are of course against uh, and are minimizing the urgency uh, you know climate change is really an issue that uh, you know touches a lot of big businesses so sure. I, I I think this is the reason why it you know there is this slow movement and the pace is not is not uh, enough I mean I Maybe you, uh, also myself, uh, we keep reading articles about how much money these uh, big business oil companies have invested in uh, advocating against climate change. So hmm. it's, uh, it's uh, just uh, um, rowing against the, the current. Absolutely. And... I suppose, you know, a, re- a realistic person such as myself who, who isn't an expert like yourself, I would simply think that that is so short-sighted because all they're thinking about is, is obviously money and, and obviously making more money. But at a certain stage, if things continue to accelerate as they have done, particularly in, in 2022, there won't be any point to any of that. Yes, and uh, we always say, no, there is no planet B, or we say there is no business without planet. Exactly. <laughs> and and, the, and this is the point. And this yeah. is very short, short uh, uh, sight, you know. Uh, and, uh, and we really need to have this view, these visions uh, that, you know, make us understand that we need to act now uh, with with the vision of the future being a better world for for our children and for next generations. Absolutely. We we attended in June of 2022 an event in Brighton in the UK uh, called Footprint Plus, and that was for the built environment sector. And there was a huge amount of realism and positivity there, um, just like yourself, Roberta, in terms of some of the positive points you've made during our interview. And that was, you know, a group of all people involved in property, uh, architecture, construction, infrastructure, and that was a place where it was almost joyful to find that there are sections of society, a little bit like what you spoke about in terms of uh, the COP26 or yeah. 27. There are sections who absolutely get it and absolutely understand what we need to be doing, you know? Yes. I mean, climate change has to be seen as, as a system and we need all sorts of solutions and we need all sorts of um uh, uh, adaptation and mitigation uh, uh, solutions and all sectors the most polluting sectors have an opportunity to to rethink to redesign their businesses and uh, and why not to not only be better uh, you know less less polluting but also uh, providing a better service providing a better uh, a better future uh, so i think uh, um you know, if you think there are so many, so many co-benefits of uh, climate change, and for for one thing is, for example, the clean air. You know, uh, 
uh, urban uh, urban cities uh, are with uh, these polluting um, cars. Uh, you know, is also affecting the health and uh, and of people. And the clean air is a right for everybody. So there are so many. Um, things that solutions that have a lot of co-benefits with many other sectors and i don't think the business is going a certain business of course has to be rethought you know for example the energy sector uh, but uh, you know wind uh, uh, farms uh, solar farms uh, need to be built so there is business opportunities there as well Yes, I mean, of course, we we referenced, you know, the likes of the oil companies previously, but there are absolutely, with any huge uh, period of change, there are always massive opportunities there for those who can see, you know, embrace them. Yes, yes. Uh, so when when we look, Roberta, at the UN Sustainable Development Goals, we see a very long list of different areas where we need positive action and complex interactions between the different goals also. A good example would be the nature restoration efforts that also help with human health that we've touched on and well-being and climate adaptation. Now, what do you think or can you think of (laughs) examples of big win-win opportunities that could deliver against these multiple goals? Yes, as you said, there are so many win-win opportunities if you if you look very you know carefully, and nature offers a lot of untapped potential, and uh, but not only to reduce climate risk and and deal with the, the causes of the climate change, but also to improve the people's lives. And um, for example, by restoring a, a safeguarding uh, ecosystems uh, on land and ocean, uh, we help plants, animals to build uh, uh, climate resilience. So if we invest in protecting nature and rebuilding ecosystems, both people and biodiversity benefit. And, you know, like flood risk along rivers, for for instance, can be reduced by restoring wetlands and other natural habitats in, in the floodplains, by restoring natural courses of rivers, and by using tree uh, to create shades, for example. Cities can be cooled by parks and ponds, uh, by greening uh, streets and building roofs and uh, walls. Um, you know, farmers may increase their businesses with climate resilience by diversifying their crops and the livestock, by planting trees and bushes on the field for shade and organic manure like uh, agroecological farming, uh, by increasing soil health, for example, moist soils, organic matter, and combining crops and livestock and natural elements uh, with such trees and bushes. So really, you know, what we call it natural-based solutions uh, is, uh, is uh, they, they offer opportunities which have several win-win solutions, win-win solutions. And I would say in, for, my, for my sector, um, for example, uh, solar and wind energy, they can be off-grid and they can reach the most remote places and provide electricity for education, uh, for 
helping gender, for example, and uh, also building health, you know, hospitals uh, in the remote places. These are, you know, big, big solutions uh, that we can deploy. You mentioned obviously greening cities, and just by pure coincidence, you picked up a, you picked up on my Irish accent. But I'm actually living in Spain. Uh, and my closest city is Valencia, which has been named European Green Capital for 2024. Um, and it's, a, it's an amazing city to go into because they have made that city green so much lo- longer before any of this um, emergency has been in the public domain for the average person. And they, as you said, they attract people like you working remotely from from Valencia. So they offer something uh, that is uh, more comfort for people to live in uh, rather than big cities and polluted cities. Uh, but uh, yeah, there are other um, examples as well. And it is incredible how, you know, governments uh, at level of COP they are stuck, but cities, municipalities, regions—they are much more advanced. They are much, much more. Uh, you know, they have a bigger visions, and they can take actions. Uh, and they are not stuck with these old negotiations. This is what I was saying before. You know, you see, you see improvements, you see innovation. Is is in this aspect in uh, in people. Uh, and uh, major of cities uh, or governor uh, of regions that are taking actions despite the, the global uh, negotiation is, is kind of stuck. Hmm, absolutely. Now, one of the challenges that we, you know, we, we need all these multiple issues to be acted on really at the same time, ideally, um, you know, to halt and adapt to climate change and na- nature recovery. As you mentioned, there's, you know, Plenty of positivity, but some organizations aren't acting at all yet. Some are focused on single issues, but we need to share messages that encourage action. But there's a risk, really, Roberta, that when people start to open up to this, they're going to be bewildered by the complexity, you know, and feel like whatever we do, someone will criticize us saying, but you're only acting on X, but you're forgetting about Y and Z. Now, as a sustainability influencer, can you give some simple tips for those looking to influence others to act and to act themselves, obviously? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I always uh, um, think that uh, for me, at least, uh, I mean, undoubtedly, the, the, the issue is, is super complex and, and so interactive. And uh, for sure, you know, uh, we always, everything we do, we always going to forget something. Uh, but this should not prevent. I think for me, I, when I communicate about science, uh, about climate change, I always start with, uh, uh, scientific evidence. So scientific evidence, which cannot be, you know, it's not an opinion, is not, uh, I think, you know, uh, and is my opinion, but it is something that uh, is is there and is is in front of everybody. So I try to uh, always start a conversation with some scientific evidence and say, okay, you know, let's let's uh, see uh, how this is impacting several other aspects, and uh, and what do you do with that? And uh, and it is it is always uh, I think it is important. Uh, uh, to start the conversation. Nobody has a solution and nobody has the full picture. 
say. But uh, um, let's start with what is uh, evident and let's build the conversation and uh, the, the, the advocacy through the science. That would be my um, tip. Perfect. Now, Roberta, a very recent uh, article in the Guardian newspaper on the 9th of January reported that the Earth's ozone layer is on course to be healed within decades, according to a UN report. What are your comments about this, Roberta? Yeah, you know, thank you very much for this uh, question because I actually uh, did a post yesterday in in my in my account uh, about how, for example, the the, the Montreal Protocol, which was signed in uh, uh, 1987, was actually successful. You know. There was a, an evidence, a scientific evidence, uh, the ozone depleting chemicals that we were um, releasing in the atmosphere were eroding the uh, important ozone layer. Uh, and uh, we had all the parties coming together, signing this protocol in Montreal um, for uh, the depleting substances. And then, uh, you know... Um, the phase out of this nearly 90, 90% of uh, banned ozone depleting substances was uh, uh, successful uh, in uh, safeguarding the, 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 the ocean layer. So this is, you know, an, an example of how the world came together to solve this problem and they succeed. So uh, let's take this an example for climate change and biodiversity loss. Um, as uh, as we can do it uh, together. So that gives us obviously a, a very good example of hope and when systems work and people get involved at all different levels in society, what can actually happen, doesn't it? Yes, yes. I mean, we have the will. You know, this is such a good news because uh, this uh, article that came out uh, because it is it was a science, scientific assessment that came out uh, yesterday. They say that the ozone layer is on track to recover within the the, the next four decades, and uh, and this is such an important. Uh, 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 news because uh, you know this ozone layer is um, in the upper tr- uh, stratosphere and um, and it helps you know the the to uh, ban the um, harmful ultraviolet rays uh, from the sun. So you know uh, science was there; they produced the evidence. Uh, the, the the parties, the, com- the 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 countries realized this is important, and they started to phase out these uh, um, chemicals. And uh, and now you know uh, we are recovering. Nature is doing their work and is recovering uh, the the layer. So yeah, it's, it's a very good example of what we collectively as uh, we can do it. And just remember, we just have a one world where we live. We don't have a planet B. So, uh, you know, this is the only way to go uh, through. Absolutely. This is the only way. Now you're speaking directly to people who are globally involved in what's known as the built environment sector. Roberta, what are your hopes to communicate 
through this series of interviews, to today's interview and later as part of the roundtable, what are you hoping to leave with our audience? Well, I, I hope I hope we can, uh, uh, you know, um, have this bridge built between the science and uh, the, the the community. This built environment sector try to each understand from each other, you know, what is the impacts, but what is also the business, uh, and how we can how you know scientists can help the uh, sector, what kind of data they need, what kind of uh, uh, analysis they need. Each um, sector has a different uh, uh, needs uh, and different decisions that they have to make. So I, I hope, you know, for me is to start to, 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 to build this bridge and, uh, and to, to advocate for them to go to experts, to um, uh, interact with experts in Ireland, for example, or in other countries, and uh, uh, and try to uh, read the, the, the data, the climate data, and see how they can design and build uh, uh, the, the building to be more sustainable. One question that just comes to mind that we hadn't talked about before this uh, again, because it was something I saw just literally before we're recording. In the UK, it's now going to be a biodiversity challenge for house builders and developers because by the end of this year, they're going to be required to provide a 10% net gain in biodiversity. Do you okay. think 10% is enough? Just throwing it out there. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, nor did I. <laughs> but if this is the first step... Yes, this is welcome, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, from zero to 10 is already something. And, uh, sure. And uh, let's, let's uh, you know, be more ambitious in the future, but uh, why not? I mean, this is, I think, a, a good step forward. This is Constructive Voices. So there you go then, Pete. We've heard from Roberta, and actually still to come in this episode, we're going to hear from some of the experts that you'll uh, be able to meet on our roundtable event at the end of the month. But on what Roberta said there, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to hear somebody with so much expertise in their particular field talking about how important it is that we take action on this. Yeah, so again, Roberta has, has approached the subject in a very a very honest perspective. Like, you know, it's about recording scientifically what effects have been happening. The proof is there. The, the planet has got warmer. There's no doubt about that anymore. Like, you know, we we need to now take action. And the, the proof is there for, for people to be able to look at this. So... You know, I, I think um, it's very clear to see that people like Roberta and people within the industry have put the time and put the effort and, have you know, obviously there's been financial input to get to this point where, you know, now proper decisions can be made based off legitimate information and everything that we have seen and heard to, the, to this date is showing that we need to, to make changes and it's how quickly we make those changes and how effective those changes and the decisions that we make to change the, in, the, in the right way within our industry and within the way that we live 
is, is going to have a direct effect on how uh, successful we are in this climate change battle. And it's here, it's real, it's happening right now. And again, you know, some really, really valid points um, delivered there by, by Roberta from lots of different uh, perspectives. Um, and she really s- set out a very good roadmap to how we've got to this point in terms of properly recording properly uh, researching in a scientific um, way and legitimate way where the planet is in terms of, of it's, it's, uh, it has heated up. Um, records are proving that and the effects that we're starting to see, the, the loss of ecology um, and, and the effects then of uh, that that's having within nature, therefore leading to the ripple effect uh, to, to how our environment is changing. Absolutely, Pete. And, you know, when you think about the topics, you know, that have been big in the last couple of years, certainly around climate change, COP26, COP27, you know, what we've done is on both occasions, we've come back after those huge events and we've kept the conversation going. And in fact, we've built on that conversation with the experts and making sure that it's not just those who attend those conferences who are speaking within those environs, but actually we're then bringing the conversation a little bit further and expanding it out and making it specific to the construction industry. And I think that's been very important as well. Yeah, and we're going to continue to do that, Steve. We're going to continue to have more roundtables. We're going to continue to, to, you know, have more discussions. And, and I think you put it nicely there, c- continue the conversation because, you know, I think there needs to be a platform there. There needs to be a, a, a destination that people can come to, to voice their opinion and to hear other people's opinions so they, do, they don't get lost at different events, that they don't just kind of get them, get lost in a moment of time, that they're, that they're still there, they're, they're recorded, they're on, you know, they're they're on record and people can relate back to them and contribute to them and can add to them and can continue them and again that's what we're doing here we're giving our community and giving our industry the opportunity to to have that platform and to have that place that they can come have the discussion have the proper place that they can discuss and agree or disagree and, and, and make sure that the conversation continues, builds, gets added, added to, and then gets in front of the right people so that the decisions are made at the higher levels that, you know, change is where the, those places are made. So they hear the, the smaller people. The, not only do they hear, you know, the people that are close to them, but they hear the other people within the industry who have so much to contribute and have so much excellent um, information and, and so much excellent research done we want to be the place where people can put that out there and and it can be recorded and it can be looked at and again continued and added to and built until we get to the destination that we need to be at yeah absolutely Pete. without doubt now our round table at the end of the month is going to bring you some fantastic guests. We've put together a panel of experts. Let's hear from just some of them. I'm Claire Wansbury. I'm a company fellow and associate director in Atkins, which is a big engineering and environmental consultancy. I'm an ecologist with 30 years experience, over half of which has been within Atkins. I'm interested in all matters around biodiversity I primarily work in the UK, but colleagues work in countries across the world. It's absolutely right that climate has this massive headline and we're not doing enough on that. Um, And I don't want it to be a conversation about biodiversity being the poor relation of climate as an emergency. But I think just raising awareness of the importance and also the fact that we can do things 
and that there is an international appetite and we need to just build momentum around doing things about nature restoration. Yeah, I'm uh, Chris Gerald, I'm the Catchment and Biodiversity Manager at Anglian Water, so I get involved in all of the company's biodiversity work, as well as working with uh, the farming sector to address the problems caused by, um, or the opportunities arising from farming across our, our catchments. Because the things I'm interested in, one is that we're going to be hearing a lot more about nature positive coming out of COP. So what does that really mean? Um, and is it getting us into this, the space of measuring like biodiversity net gain has and, and what are the implications of that? I think that's particularly true for um, for private businesses when they're going to be talking about their um, positive impacts on, on nature. I think there's an interesting conversation around the, the challenges we face to address um, the biodiversity crisis in terms of the supply chain. I think there's something about how we work together to solve these problems as well. And I guess I'm particularly thinking about public and private investment and how it can work together. I guess across all of that, I'm particularly interested in the water environment. So opportunity to talk about the health of rivers and coasts and lakes and so on and wetlands, associated catchments um, would be great. But there's a broader point that applies to all of that. Hi, I'm Jay Manley. I'm the Chief Executive of the Earth Trust. We're an environmental charity. We focus on green spaces, but particularly people's access and engagement with green spaces. Our engagement with green spaces um, and our need for that connectivity is linked to three to the three crises that we're facing at the moment, or is it four? Um, so the first one is around biodiversity. Second one is about climate. And the third one is around health and well-being. And of course, the economic crisis sort of um, puts all three of those in the spotlight with regard to green space. It's usually the communities that are most marginalised from our society who are suffering now and their connectivity with green space is paramount to addressing all three of those crises. So I'm John Beasy, I work at WM5G, uh, we're part of the uh, West Midlands Combined Authority uh, in the UK um, and my role here is looking at health and care and that interface, so probably not a massive surprise. Uh, that my angle is about the determinants of health and well-being in our neighbourhoods and built environment, things like air quality and health impacts, both indoor and outdoor air quality, um, and then things like digital and connectivity as social determinants of health um, and how we need to increase those in our uh, spaces and built environments and then public transport and green space. So there you go, Pete. Some of the experts who'll be joining us on our roundtable in our first ever themed month on biodiversity. They'll be joining us at the end of the month. And we'll be back with another episode of the podcast next week. Looking forward to it, Steve. Lots of great subjects ahead. And as always, it's a pleasure, my man. Let's do this. And that's all for this episode of Constructive Voices. Please take a moment to share it with others who may find it interesting. Follow or subscribe to get the latest episodes automatically on your favourite podcast app and rate and review the podcast if you can. You can also listen to the latest episode by saying, Alexa, play Constructive Voices podcast. Here's Constructive Voices. Here's the latest episode. And on our website where there's lots more information too. That's constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. Mm-hmm.